listening to the Inside Job Making CX Work podcast, where we share how you can make customer experience transformation a reality. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Inside Job Making CX Work. I'm your host, Jose Fabrion, and today we've got an awesome episode for you. Today, we're going to be meeting with Abbas Merchant, who's the CMO of Regions Bank, as well as Jonathan Galliano from Merkel. He leads our financial services vertical. And today we're going to be talking about trends in financial services, what's going on, and really how the customer experience really helps create a competitive advantage in this market. So without further ado, uh, I would like to turn it over to Abbas to introduce himself. Abbas, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do at, at Regions? Hi, Jonathan and Jose. You know, it's great to join you guys for, for this discussion. And, uh, you know, I've been with Regions for about a year and a half, Regions marketing team, and it's been an awesome time. We have a great team here, and I'm excited about where we are today and, and our journey ahead. That's awesome. Thank, thank you, Abbas. And, and we're really excited to have you here. I'm really looking forward to it. We've had some really good intro calls, and I think people will really get a lot out of you know, your experience and your vision uh, for today. So, Jonathan, would you mind telling us a little bit about uh, yourself? Great. It's it's wonderful to be here. And thank you, Abbas, for joining us and, and Jose uh, leading our discussion. I lead Merkel's financial services group. We have about 40 plus clients across financial services, you know, sectors, national banks, super regional banks and payment providers and fintechs and a lot going on within that. And we see a number of different trends. This is a really interesting time for this podcast. Um, as we think about the premium on customer experience today, it's more important than ever. There's so much disruption in the marketplace. There's so many choices. Just think about the categories I just mentioned in financial services. There are so many different categories and options for consumers, but there's a lot happening economically that's putting a premium on the consumer experience. So we're really happy to talk about some of those trends today. And I'm excited Abbas is joining us as, as a leader, as regions as a leader in some consumer experience trends. Awesome. Hey, thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate that. And look, everybody listening knows that financial services has been going through change and will continue to do so. I mean, we see it with even just uh, even currencies and things like that. So why don't we kind of just jump into things? Because you, you touched on a few things, Jonathan, that I think we want to kind of pull out, right? We hear the word customer experience, frankly, a lot, right? Customer experience, experience, experience. So a boss, as we think about customer experience as it relates to financial services, et cetera, you know, how would you define that today? Like, and how does it vary for financial services versus, say, uh, retail or something like that? Yes, Jose. You know, words can mean different things to different people. So that's, that's a good starting point for us. You know, I, I believe that when it comes to engaging and connecting with customers, the most important element is empathy, which, you know, to me really means that we must understand what is important to the customers in the moment. With that sort of in mind, I think that there are, broadly speaking, you know, four important things to delivering good experience, a good customer experience. The first is really understanding what is the customer's intent. You know, in other words, trying to uh, understand what are they trying to accomplish now. The second is really determining where they are in that journey, where are they in that process of doing whatever they're trying to do or accomplish. 
And the third, and this is the most important one, is demonstrating empathy. You know, how can we help customers accomplish uh, what they are trying to do? And then finally, you know, how can we reduce the burden on the customers? Uh, you know, how can we help them make it simple, easy, and quick? So, you know, those are sort of the four cornerstones in my mind when I think about delivering good customer experiences. When we interact with customers online, we try to understand what are they looking to do? What specifically are they trying to accomplish now in the moment? Then and only then can we figure out, you know, how can we help them accomplish that task? You know, we call these moments of truth. These are the moments that matter to the customer and how we show up in these moments really, to me, defines what delivering a good experience is all about. And if we do that, we might be able to earn their trust. So that, to me, is sort of how I would define delivering good customer experience. That's awesome. I like the, I like the way you did that with it, you know, understanding intent, understanding where they are in the journey, how you demonstrate empathy, and then also just the reality of needing to reduce that burden or friction, basically making it simple, easy, and, and quick. Jonathan, what, what, do you have any kind of thoughts on how a boss is positioning customer experience? No, I think it's well said, and I totally align with the idea of everybody has a little bit of a different definition. I think as, as the boss has laid it out, you know, we, we see the same thing. I, I think the thing that I would layer on it as well is we have a little bit of a moving target in terms of what is the best customer experience. We actually have a new generation of consumer coming through, right? If you think about millennials, Gen Z, and now Generation Alpha, just in 2021, they became the majority population, I think 51, 52% of the population. And these are generations, and I know they are, you know, three of the big sort of subgenerations. So I'm kind of grouping them together here, but they were essentially born into the technologies we know today. And their focus on a financial services brand relationship is different than previous generations. These generations are developing their own path, their own journey. And for those of us that have been in financial services for many years, we used to create journeys on a whiteboard. We would say consumers will open up the product this way and then next we want them to activate in that way. And today, this notion of the new customer and the new customer experience, the financial services brand, its services, its capabilities, its advice and guidance has to be accessible in the moment, everywhere and anywhere. And so kind of back to my opening point of it's a little bit of a moving target. We have new consumer requirements and frankly, the financial services brand has to be flexible and anticipatory of those experiences to stay ahead of, again, all of the choices the consumer has at its disposal today. Yeah, and I think the two things are sticking out for me about what you said there, Jonathan, which is one, kind of whiteboards, which I'll, I'll get back to in a second, but then also just ever-changing needs and expectations that happen. So you know, it's one thing to talk about customer experience. It's another thing to kind of map it out, if you will, on a, on a whiteboard and say, this is a sequential piece to it. But those are kind of aspirational and, and kind of theoretical exercises, right? When you, when you get down into actually enabling personalized, connected customer experiences, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? And so, Abbas, what are some of the challenges that, that you're seeing as you really try to make that kind of transition from this is what we think we're going to do and then actually getting it done? 
There are definitely many challenges. When I think about personalization and the challenges we are facing in delivering good personalization to customers or delivering great personalized experiences to customers, it reminds me of an old Asian parable about five blind men <laughs> trying to describe an elephant. You guys must be familiar with it. Uh, the first person that touches the elephant's trunk describes the elephant as a serpent-like creature. You know, the second person touches the elephant's ears and describes it as having wings. The third person touches the leg of the elephant and describes it, uh, hey, this creature feels like a tree trunk, you know, and so on and so forth. We, we'd all agree that while these are pretty good descriptions of attributes of an elephant, but these don't describe the elephant. To me, the challenges today in personalization are very much the same. It's like trying to understand the story plot of a movie by only looking at a few glimpses of the movie. You know, and I think what's core to the challenge is that we don't have good identity resolution. You know, what I mean by that is that we have difficulty in connecting users across devices and sessions and linking their physical and virtual identities together. And in cases where we can really do that, we tend to have the challenge of, you know, having low match rates. So that's sort of the core challenge uh, that I feel we are facing in the financial services and across all industries. Furthermore, I'd say that, you know, this is this whole issue is compounded by the increasing concerns among our customers part regarding privacy, which is leading us to reduce our reliance on third party cookies. Those two issues not, are not only impacting the efficacy of our targeting efforts, they're also negatively impacting the accuracy of our attribution of our results. So without understanding of this data or these data points, these elements, it's hard to do, really do a good job of personalizing experiences for customers. I think that's beautifully said, Abbas. You know, the way that I heard what you just said is, hey, look, you know, we've, we've got this challenge, which is that to understand where somebody is, to, to deliver on that empathy, to make it somewhat frictionless, we actually have to be able to know who that person is. And the world is, is changing around us. Some of it is just reality in terms of technology. Another is basically consumer disposition, but also regulatory. And so those things coming together, sounds like they're driving you to innovate on how you're doing that. And I, I kind of think back to this idea of a clerk in a retail store, right? When somebody comes up to them, that clerk is reading them, right? Are they male? Are they female? Are, are they holding something, et cetera? And they're making decisions about what to talk to that person about. And what you're saying is right now, you're, you're having trouble or one of the challenges is being able to see who that person is as they come in so you can talk to them the way that they need to be spoken to. At least that's the way that I heard that. Yeah, that's, that's exactly you know, the, the challenge that I think we are facing. It's true across the board. I mean, Jonathan, what, what's your what's your point of view on that? No, completely agree. And, you know, as I think about financial services and, you know, regions included, you know, has an extensive branch network and, and think about the goal of the financial services representative. As soon as somebody comes through the door, whether a customer or a prospect, the number one goal of the FSR is to get up and greet meet that individual, get their name, try to understand their needs and why they're there. We haven't historically been able to do that across every channel, right? And digital, especially as a boss was outlining, 
there have been inherent and historical challenges in that. So the idea is, can we create every channel to get to personalization, to get to connected experiences? Identity has to be accelerated and connected across every channel. But there's a key point that I would add to the identity principle, which is you can have identity, you can know that it's a particular individual, but how good is the connectedness of the data to that identity? Even if I know an individual as they come to a digital property, what data do I have that's historical in nature and sort of full full 360 degree view, but equally important Can I use the data signals in the moment of the interaction in order to influence the interaction, in order to anticipate the customer's needs? So to step back on, you know, personalized and connected experiences, we have to understand that identity and data have to work in real time, have to work in the moment and connect across channels. I think the other thing that I would just add to this piece as well is we often jump over the notion of the importance of customer supplied data, zero party data to use an industry term, right? We talk about first party data that the financial services company can start to get on a customer or a prospect. And certainly there's third party data, which over time will become increasingly challenged, right, to use. But zero-party data is if a financial services company can provide value exchange, right? So as you engage with our brand, if there's a reason to give us some information, again, kind of go back to the branch example with the financial services representative, if I can share as a customer, share information to you and build out the zero-party data back to the financial services company, that's when you actually have a different level of engagement with that individual. So sometimes there's low-hanging fruit and zero-party data can be an easy way to begin to establish direct relationships with customers and prospects that ultimately can lead to better personalization. I want to dive into one of the things that you said, Jonathan. So you know, like we talk about identity, we talk about data, whether it's zero party or, or otherwise, right? But you actually hit on something that I want to dive into a little bit more, which is this idea of, okay, I can, I can recognize somebody, but are my marketing systems essentially ready to actually do something with that identity and the information that we have? So you can call it personalization at scale, you can call it whatever you want. But the point is, can you actually do this en masse in terms of understanding where somebody is, uh, what their intent is, where they are in the journey, how you reduce that friction, et cetera? How do we create personalization at scale is kind of the, the thing that I want to kind of dive into. And, and, and Abbas, like, you know, what's, what's your point of view on it? Is, you know, how is Regions tackling some of this? Like many of my colleagues, uh, we are trying to figure this out as well. But there are a couple of examples that I can share that, you know, I believe that we, we do a great job of for personalizing experiences. I, I think the first example is, is that of our decisioning platform. Uh, we affectionately call it ROSI, which stands for Regions Optimal Solutions Intelligence System. And it's really a decisioning platform. Uh, it's a platform that we feed, you know, wide range of data attributes, including customer history, behavior, interaction data, both real time and, and delayed data, uh, as well as a, a lot of third party data. 
which is then used in various a series of predictive models, AI and machine learning based models. We use the models to help get predictions. We combine that with business rules. And then together, all of this allows us to get a better understanding of the intent of the customer, the context around the customer or the user, and where they might be in their journey. And using that we use that sort of platform and series of models and decision rules to really personalize experiences through across all of our channels. You know, today, Rosie focuses on delivering relevant, personalized next best actions. But, you know, our goal is to really, uh, or our vision for, for Rosie is to migrate it from delivering relevant next best actions to really next best experiences, a series of uh, sequence of uh, relevant communications for the customer that really help add value to the customer. I think, Jonathan, you mentioned, you know, the the value exchange. I think that is core to uh, gaining the trust and helping the customer in whatever they're trying to do. So that's that's one example that comes to mind. Another example that I, I'd share is that of our uh, new onboarding program. And this is an onboarding program that we implemented back in 2020. It's a highly a personalized multi-channel experience for the new customers and it's tailored to each customer based on what products they have, what services they have, what balances and what channel did they open the account, the location where they opened the account and, and their general level of engagement. So it is a series of communication that is highly personalized to the individual customer. And in fact, in the first email, the welcome email that we sent to the customer, there's a dynamically generated video that actually refers to the customer with their first name and the location where they open the account. So, you know, that to me is a great example of personalization and and it's pretty cool, but it's more than just cool, right? It's, we are not doing it just because it's it's cool and we can do it. The results that we've seen has have been really encouraging. You know, we see much higher balances among customers that are that have gone through this new onboarding program, more products, lower attrition, greater engagement, and they're engaging at a much higher rate with the communication that we are sending out to them. Uh, Our email open rates are 60% higher, click-through rates are much higher than than the norms, which really says that we are being more personalized. They're finding this communication to be useful. The whole idea here, and you know, Jonathan, you made a reference to, and Jose, you made a reference to in-person interactions tend to be high touch. And what we are trying to do in other channels is leverage the data analytics insights to really deliver that level of experience. And that, that was exactly what we, what we embarked on. We wanted to deliver the same great experience we deliver in branches where our customers uh, interface with our associate face-to-face. We want to deliver the same quality of experience in the comfort of their homes. So this is another example that I'm really proud of. Abbas, you you absolutely just made my day. (laughs) It's all Mm -hmm. I can say. So why did you make my day? You talked about how you're using technology and data, et cetera, to basically be ready to customize the experience for people. But more importantly, you answered two things that I always ask people, which is, how do you translate that into content? And was it worth it? 
right? <laughs> because content often is one of the big barriers to personalization and scale. We have identity, we have data, we can do all the analytics, we've got the tools, et cetera. But often creative becomes a bit of a barrier. And what you're saying, what I heard you say is that we've been able to crack personalized video at scale. And the reality is that those interactions are driving much better business results. And that to me is the key. So did I get that right, Abbas? Yes, you did. <laughs> so it's, it's not just about being cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's never about just being cool, in my opinion, Abbas. But uh, money talks. So True all right. That. Well, that, <laughs> so Abbas, that's that's awesome. Jonathan, you're obviously very familiar with this. What what would you say here? Well, I think Abbas said it really well with some very pointed examples. I think what I would add to it as I think about all of our clients, as I think about the financial services, you know, ecosystem and partners that we work with is personalized experiences at scale. You know, the way to start to think about that is the what and the how. And starting with the what, not everything needs to be an offer. And I think that's a really important point that, you know, Abbas was mentioning going from, you know, next best offer or next best action to next best experience. I think the underscore there is sometimes personalization can be just in the way in which that I'm speaking to the customer. It could be the imagery. It could be a thank you message. It could be an anticipatory service. Doesn't always have to be the next product sale. I think Regions is really nicely progressive in that way. But I think that's a really important point for financial services companies to, to think about. So the what is key and what data can power whether or not it's an offer that's needed or whether it's just the way in which we talk to and engage and wrap the message around the customer or the prospect. The how is really where there's a lot of maybe confusion um, and even some trepidation from financial services companies to say they immediately and understandably go to what piece of technology do I need? How do I really do personalization at scale? Do I need a content platform? Do I need another marketing database? Oh, yeah. Should I go to the cloud? And what we have to do is step back and say, not every piece of information has to be connected across every channel. I know it sounds good when we present it in the marketplace and you know, there's all of these industry readouts and things that say every single thing that a customer does, let's make sure every channel can do it. The reality is we look at you know, Gartner and Forrester and some of the research firms that say, Consumers actually have preferences to when, where, and how they use various channels. If it's a simple interaction, let that personalization be a one-click experience in digital. But if that customer needs a different level of advice and guidance, that personalized experience better jump over a cumbersome digital experience. It better quickly get to a financial services representative that can care and nurture that interaction. So my point is, is that personalization is contextual and the way in which we think about technologies and connecting data and experiences, we don't have to solve it all. The financial services company can prioritize the types of interactions, the types of data, the types of outputs that are needed that at the end of the day, create the right experience, maybe not every experience. 
That makes sense. I, I like the way that you put that. I, I also want to kind of touch on that the how piece to this. I mean, I think part of what we're what we're saying is there's a there's a nuance to the to the house, but there's another angle to the house. One is there's the technical capabilities, but then there's really the teams. I mean, so I mean, look, Jonathan, you know it, a boss. I'm sure you've seen it. You can have all the tech in the world. You could have a, a, a strategy, but you can't actually get to it because organizationally, you're not ready to do it or you're not structured in a way to do that. So what I would say is like from a how perspective, a boss, this is kind of for you, but is there is there a way that you're looking at organizing to unlock or have organized to unlock these capabilities? This is a great question. And it, it's, it's probably the most important one. As you indicated, when we think about data and technology intensive efforts, such as delivering personalized experiences, you know, we often think about you know, what is the most advanced platform or applications or tools? As you mentioned, uh, you know, my experience has been, and I've learned this, I might say the hard way that all transformations are less dependent on the technology or the platform and more dependent on the people. You know, it's it's about having the right culture, organization and interaction model that is critical to the success. And I think it it has to it it has to start with the vision, having a compelling vision and then coming up with the strategic priorities that are that help us make progress towards that vision. Once we have those two identified, the next step is really focusing on the functional organization, right? Uh, how are we organized? How are we structured? Sometimes that can come in the way, create a friction in how we interact across the different groups, uh, departments within the organization, within the marketing team and with business partners uh, and, and business lines. And then really uh, reimagining how we work together. You know, how do we, what is the interaction model and eliminating any frictions there. People, you know, what I have noticed uh, from my experience is that people, when you're organized in a more traditional functional organization, people tend to focus on their swim lanes or, or try to stay within their swim lanes. And I think trying to look at the full picture, customer's reality and understand the context, you have to really think broadly and connect the dots across the various functions. So I think those are some of the key things that are really important in creating an organization and readiness of your organization to really make this transformation to become more customer focused. The other thing I'll give an example, what I've seen in, in many marketing teams or departments, the functions that are responsible for or enable customer interactions tend to be f fragmented in different silos. So whether it is direct marketing versus mass media versus digital versus social, these all functions tend to be less integrated. So one of the key key elements that we we did, uh, which was uh, which was really important, is to start breaking down the silos and integrate those functions together. And you can do it either through uh, realigning the organization or through creating cross-functional teams. It really depends on the culture of the organization. And then finally, uh, and I mentioned this earlier that. I see this more as a transformation. So it's not a once and done type of a thing. You know, if you're trying to transform an organization that is more inward focused or product or business focused to an organization that is more customer centered, I think it's going to be an iterative process. 
you know, you would have to go through the above things that I talked about, the vision, the strategic priorities, realigning the team, creating a new interaction model several times in iterations to continue to make the progress. So I think that's really to me, been sort of the journey that we've been on is really focusing more on how do we unleash the power of our talent? How do we really create a learning culture? How do we focus more on data insights and how we work, most importantly, how we work together to harness the power of the data and insights to deliver much more relevant, meaningful experiences to customers? That makes a ton of sense to me. I, it, what, what's clear to me, Abbas, is that you've been through this before. You've certainly seen what doesn't work, uh, and you, you've, you've used those experiences to to make it much more real at regions. And I, I think that's what's really impressive because it, it's a huge miss for a lot of companies. They can have all the tech in the world. They can have great ideas, but if they're not structured or at least mentally or aligned toward a strategy and the key metrics... Right, it's very difficult to transform, uh, as you say. And so, Jonathan, I mean, what, what's your what's your point of view here? I mean, I think Abbas said exactly, you know, where you know the considerations around you know team optimizations are going in the space. So I don't have anything to to add to that piece. But I mean, a couple of things you know came to mind. Going back to my very first point about. We're starting to work with a new generation of consumers and the way that they think about channels is very different than the way historical financial services companies and even the older consumer had thought about channels as very distinct doors to the financial services company. That's no longer the case. So the question we would ask ourselves is how could we be organized still in a fashion that the new consumer doesn't align with, right? So by definition, you know, I could almost make the comment that say five years ago, when financial services companies were thinking about organizational transformation and always pushing the envelope to try something new, remember the period where it was agile ways of working and agile pods and different ways to execute it was almost like it was kind of a test and learn organizational structure. It was almost like it was a side exercise. Today, it's critical because most financial services companies are not organized in the way that the consumer behaves. And that really goes back to what Abbas was saying around, we have to think about it from a measurement perspective. What are we trying to measure? I have a marketing dollar and how do I expand that dollar across all touch points to convert the customer or the prospect at the lowest possible cost? What's the experience to get there? It's a different way to engage the consumer. So by definition, the organization has to change. The only other thing I would say is, or add to Abbas's comments, is probably more than ever, automation is key. When you think of a marketing organization, no matter the size, but if you think about a traditional financial services marketing organization, companies are going to have to start to respond much more quickly. We think the last five years had a lot of change and disruption. I think the next five might even be more and faster, right? So as we think about marketing execution, as we think about taking our audience plans 
and putting them into market, there has to be levels of automation that can take those plans, deliver on them more quickly. That also wraps back to our personalization topic a minute ago. How are we responding to trends more quickly and in a more personalization at scale fashion if we don't have levels of automation? So as we think about teams, which is essentially your question, Jose, around how should we think about organizing for the new experience? I think it's more the notion that there has to be automation considered and we have to remove the heavy lifting of marketing execution and start focusing on sort of broader audience-led engagements. And that's going to take a big set of decisions, right, that organizations are going to have to make. It's no longer a side-of-the-desk exercise to test a new organizational project. It's now thinking about a completely different way of engaging consumers. I think that is a very deep topic we should probably go into as a, as a part two, because part of what I heard between both you and, and Abbas was, yes, we have to change. We have to do all these things. But Jonathan, what you kind of added on there was, yes, there's change now, but there's going to be change in the future in terms of structure because you know the, the market changes, how we work changes, all sorts of those things. But we also have to change how we work in the sense of introducing automation, and that will allow us to scale, one, but two, start to focus on different types of work. And so I, I think that's that's a really great point. I will say, based on uh, some of my own personal history, uh, just a little uh, non sequitur here, but is that automation is awesome, but you got to check automation. Automation doesn't just run. Um, so you, you do always have to go back. But I, look, I think it, it'd be, it might be worthwhile to dive into this whole thing as a, as a, as a part two in the future. But as we kind of wrap up, we're, we're just kind of running tight, tight on time here. This has been a really great discussion from my perspective. We've covered a lot of things. Abbas, I am very thankful for you coming and being with us today. What I love about what you've been able to talk about is based on experience. You've been through it. You're doing it. You're getting results from it. You're solving some of the hard problems around organization and creative at scale, which frankly, I, I don't think we see a ton of. And I, I very much appreciate how you're able to go through and be mindful of the customer and, and what they're going through and how do you make that easier for them. And I, I think that's really just a, a great piece. And Jonathan, you know what you've been able to do throughout this discussion is really add new angles to some of the topics and really bring in, hey, this is how this is changing. I think that that viewpoint really helps us open our eyes quite a bit to to what's going on and what we what we need to be mindful of beyond kind of the big topics that are that are out there. And so that was that's really helpful. So as we start to wrap up what i what i feel like is we've covered a great bit of topic on what you know defining customer experience what matters right what are some of those challenges out there right how do we deal with personalization at scale in in reality and then how do we organize in and around those things and and i really appreciate all the the open responses that both of you have been able to provide. So as we wrap up, Abbas, do you have any last thoughts you want to impart upon our listeners? Jose and Jonathan, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed the dialogue. It's clear that we are all, all three of us are, are uh, really passionate about this topic and I found that to be really us useful. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you, Abbas. Jonathan, any, any last words as we start to kind of wrap things up? 
No, thank you, Jose, and thank you, Abbas. It's been a, a you know very strong partnership, uh, Merkel and Regents working together, and just the learnings that we're seeing across the industry. It certainly makes it a stimulating category for us all to to work in. It's it's challenging. I think it's going to be a different space over the next five to ten years, and. Looking forward to the journey, and and thanks for coordinating this for us today. Thank you very much, Jonathan. To all of our listeners, uh, thank you for getting to this point. We're wrapping up another episode of Inside Job, Making CX Work. Thank you very much, and see you next time. (music) 